This is Game Theory, our podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, just one more flip. Grab a hundred bucks and a coin. Let's play a game. Here's how it works. First, you pick either heads or tails. We're going to flip a number of times. Let's say 100 coin flips. If the coin comes up heads and you pick heads, you win 80% of your total. But if it comes up tails, you lose 50%. So in the first flip, if the coin comes up heads, you now have $180. If the second flip is tails, though, you now have $90 and you're down $10. If 100 people play the game, the average outcome will be positive money. That, however, is a statistical paradox. In reality, the vast majority of the players will lose money, most of whom will lose all of it. There will be a lucky handful that make some money and an even smaller amount that make a ton of money. This is called the just one more paradox, and it's how people get addicted to gambling and lose their life savings in the stock market. In this episode, I talk smack on American Airlines. We tell you what a Pittsburgh potty is, and we show you how to avoid this paradox. And welcome to episode 70, that's 7D with the D, of Game Theory, a podcast about competition strategy and decision making. And we're talking about gambling and probability today, and I will tell you, I uh, got another win over the misses over the weekend because I played defensive chess in my life. In some arenas, I play defense first, and I always play defense first when booking flights, she doesn't because she has never been screwed by an airline. And I have been good and screwed by airlines multiple times. So when flying home, Chris, I always book a return trip to a small airport earlier in the day. If there's one available at 10 and 6 a.m., I book 6 a.m. If it's 10 and 4, I book 10. This time we were like, hey, you know, our cat is gone. We don't have to worry about it. Let's fly out at 7. And as a result of that, we landed in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, when we live in North Carolina, we were in Philly. We were going to North Carolina. We landed in Harrisburg. If you're like, where the hell is Harrisburg? It's in the middle of Pennsylvania. So, if you're like, that's not the right direction, you would be correct. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't seem right. To, say, in the <sighs> middle of Pennsylvania, is that considered Western Pennsylvania? No, it's considered. Uh, you, one would consider it just uh, PA, I guess. There are three Pennsylvanias. Just PA. Just yeah. PA. No, there are Somebody three tried to tell me once that, that Pennsylvania is the only... He's like He was like so proud of this fact. He's mm. like a native Pennsylvania guy, went to Penn State. You know how these people are. Sure. He's like, that's it's the only state where everyone refers to it just by the letters. Mm. Like, oh, I'm not from Pennsylvania. I'm from PA. It's like, Mike, Mike, dude, stop it. People do that for Virginia. People, I've heard that people do that for Georgia. Like, stop that. Yeah, the GA is a lyric in a Zach Brown song, even. Oh, is it? Is that a Zach, Zach Brown, Brown Brown band? Yeah, no, that was back I before it got weird. Yeah, it was pretty good. I guess I don't yet listen to I Zach Brown. But, but, well, water, your thing with country music is like, it's it's not a question of if, if you like it. It's when. It's how often you will listen to it when you do. Yeah, it's when it happens to you. It's gonna, You're going to be driving down the road one day, or maybe you have a really good day, and there's a country song. You're like, you know what? This is the soundtrack of my life now. I enjoy this. This is happy. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find some memories in ways that are unexpected. You're gonna be like 75 years old, nostalgic for like, oh yeah, I remember the day I discovered this tune. That's I mean, no, it, it's not if it is when most of the time it'll be driving. I think is when people find. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, their love of country music is driving, which is what we did from Harrisburg. Um, okay, <laughs> l- let me ask you this. Okay, is Harrisburg far enough west in Pennsylvania to have homes that have a Pittsburgh toilet? <laughs> yes. I have think. you heard of that? Yeah, had you heard of that before? No, I have not heard of it before. If has everyone's like, what the, the hell is a Pittsburgh thing toilet? If, if, it's a if, jailhouse okay. bathroom in your house. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. Player three. Recently, I learned about something called a Pittsburgh. Like, if you Google Pittsburgh toilet, turn say search on. Yes. Google Pittsburgh toilet. It's uh, apparently back in the day when people would go out to the coal mines or go to the smelting plant or whatever. Whatever it is they do in Western Pennsylvania, they come back really dirty and they have their coveralls and their boots and their whatever else. And so rather than tracking dirt and grime and coal dust and slag and whatever into their house, they would just go into the basement away from everybody else. And these people put an open air, like it's just like in the basement with everything else. There's not a, a designated room for it. There's not walls. There's no curtains. There's nothing. In the middle of the room, they put a shitter. Yeah, a toilet. Like, it's just a toilet. Like, that works. no kidding. It's a toilet sitting open air in the basement. So, like, if you have people over and you're like, hey, let's go down to the basement. I spiffed it up because normally I drag in a bunch of coal dust and steel shavings and whatever else. But I spiffed it up so we can go hang out th- down there tonight. And, oh, by the way, everybody will get to see you urinate freely. Yes. And also, I... I think very much. When I think Pittsburgh toilet, I think that '70s show, like the people in that '70s show, yep. and all of like all in the family and the Jeffersons yep. and stuff, would like hardworking men uh, moving on up in the world. They're, they're, they have th- all of those shows. They just didn't show you that they had an open air toilet uh, downstairs. But it's only in Pittsburgh. It's called the Pittsburgh toilet, and I so this is. I looked into this. It, it it exists not to be a place where one relieves oneself. It exists to be a relief valve for the sewage system which often backed up so that's what the plumbing apparatus is in the house instead of so instead of figuring out some way for that to just be a sewage pipe that provided relief to the system they were like well it already smells let's put a toilet on it yeah so that so what you're saying to me is (laughs) pittsburgh Uh by breaking convention and allowing people the option of shitting in full view of others correct has revolutionized. Have they found a new use for the toilet? Yep. So what? No, they no, completely th- changed the toilet game. Not quite. So this plumbing has to exist so that things don't back up, right? So they're like, how, how is it? What is it about the plumbing in Pittsburgh? Like, what does water flow differently through pipes in Western Pennsylvania than everywhere else on the face of the earth? No, no community in the world cut corners to screw the, the working man more than Western Pennsylvania. Uh, the man. Johnstown flood, fun, fun uh, little dive down the the memory lane that is. You don't know I've never the, heard of the Johnstown flood now. You've never heard? Okay. <laughs> is, it the, is that like the molasses thing where Boston smells like syrup because a factory exploded and like a bunch of people died? No, it's where uh, the richest man in the world thought that the road to his private estate up the mountain was too wide, so he barred it down. Only that road wasn't a road. It was a dam, and then the dam broke, and like 2,600 people died. Ooh. Largest single yeah, day loss of life not... in American history, including all, except for wars, until 9-11. Really? Until 9-11. The, enti- the entire it, town died. They, they were living in a floodplain. The guy was like, this road is too wide. They snipped it, and then guess what? 
When did that happen? It was was nobody like, hey, guy, we're not going to lend you the construction equipment. You need to bar down this dam. I think they barred it down for a while. I think they barred it down. And they were, oh, no. (laughs) Besmirch Andrew Carnegie. (laughs) He was the president. (laughs) Please. His, By the way, we had to we had to have a correction. I think on a previous episode we misspoke. We said, "Yeah, Andrew Carnegie and the oil." Bear. Like he was mm. not the oil guy. I heard you say that, and I just wouldn't want to jump yeah. in. Rockefeller no, was no, oil. That Carnegie was, was steel. Was I, I didn't. I didn't mean it. I mixed them up in my mind. Carnegie, Rockefeller, Vanderbilt. They were all the same to me. No, Vanderbilt was railroads. Carnegie was steel. Yes. he was a he was a Western PA guy, and Rockefeller was oil. So, Morgan, sorry to those of you who caught that. Good for you, Dad. Yeah. Thanks for the shout out. Thanks for the correction. Really appreciate you. Yeah, I'm sure all the Pennsylvanians are mad about that, but they'll get over it with the mention of this Pittsburgh toilet, for which they are incredibly proud, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. I, I learned about it from a guy from Pets, from Pittsburgh. Uh, shout out to my boy, Jack. He was, like, evangelizing. He's like, no, it's super liberating. Like, like Just go to, just go to jail. Just go to jail. You get the same like, phenomenon. Yeah, yeah like, what, what's next? What, am I going to open my door? Invite the neighbors in? Like, hey, guys. Well, well my family's cool, so yours probably is too, right? Mm. It's the weirdest thing in the world to me. I don't, I don't get that, but uh, it exists, and they're proud of it. They haven't like, they haven't like fixed it. They're not like, yeah, this was, this was a historically important part of our identity and our working class blue collar mentality here in Pittsburgh. But we have actually decided to keep it as a monument. We keep, we keep open air toilets in homes. <laughs> So that everybody can re- be reminded of their roots. Yeah, and you wonder like it's very liberating. It's like we, we're destigmatizing oh uh, bowel movements. We are no, you're not being European. You just are cutting corners. <laughs> oh my god, I just I don't. Uh, then I, you're buying into it. Ah oh, man, okay, all right. So a couple things. First thing is that the YouTube channel has become a disaster for me. I am four sure. episodes behind. They will be on the internet, I promise. Um, we would like you to subscribe to the YouTube channel, and we, I, I vow that it will bring value to your life. And it won't make your life worse, so that means that it, it might make your life better, but it won't make your life worse, which is sort of the topic of today's show. Did you like that segue? No, that was, that was pretty good. Also, yeah. not necessarily true. Mm. You can't get time back. And the time that you waste with us, Player 3, is time that I think is well wasted, but it is ultimately wasted. But speaking of giving back, Chris, we have a donation thing, too. We want people to donate to Speech and Debate. Yes. Yeah. The link is in the Yeah, we have a GoFundMe fundraiser for Speech and Debate. And I'm going to be a little bit serious here for a second, Player 3. This this Speech and Debate program is, I think, the most life-changing thing for students who decide to join. It's, it, it certainly changed my life more than any other single activity. And I, I, I did all the sports and did camps and all that kind of stuff. Speech and debate really was super important to me. And so we'd like to give back to the community. The kids this year from our old high school, shout out to the Green River High School. Uh, the kids from the Green River High School are going to Phoenix, Arizona for the national tournament this year. It costs a lot of money to get on airplanes and pay for hotel rooms and pay for tournament entry fees and meals and all that kind of stuff for the kids. Uh, but it really can be a life-changing experience. A lot of these kids have never like been on airplanes before, right? And a lot of them don't really they don't get chances to go to like big cities and see stuff like major league ballparks. And it's a really important competition for them. It's like kind of like a culminating event for the season, and it's a really big deal. And we'd appreciate any any generosity. We have a link to the GoFundMe in the show notes, and we're we're grateful to you in advance for being willing to contribute a little bit to help these kids live out an experience that I think can be life changing. Yeah, uh, twenty bucks more is better than nothing. So that anything is appreciated, and it's for kids, and maybe they are the ones that are going to be voting on shit soon. So let's educate them as much as we can, mm-hmm. and the link is in in the bio. Okay, making your life better 
not making your life worse. We are going to talk about something today that popped up on a YouTube video that is sort of still flying in this weird, undefined part of mathematics and paradoxes. And what I mean by that is there's not a Cornell blog on it. There's not a Wikipedia page on it. It kind of has not been defined by the internet in a fun way. It has various parts of it that have been defined, and it's a very simple mathematic logarithmic equation that investors use every single day. But how it can apply to your daily life is what we're going to screw around with today. It is called the just one more paradox, and it is not about my uh, Friday night at the bar. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not a paradox. That's standard operating procedure. Yeah, no, just one. No, it, it's similar to this paradox. No. Yeah, go no. home. Yeah, please stop. Like, just just no more. No more. Let's okay. So, just one more paradox: how not to lose your money in the stock market. Um, let's talk about it. So, what what is this? So. I need you to imagine we're going to walk through a scenario yeah. and we walked through scenarios before on the show and being path conscious matters. So we're going to take you through a couple of steps here. This sure. is a very simple game wherein you're given a certain amount of money to bet and the payoff that you get from that bet or the cost of the bet depends entirely on a coin toss. So if you start out with $100, the first toss of the coin is going to result in one of two outcomes. Either one, you gain 80% of your original holdings or you lose 50% of your original holdings. So there's a difference in the value, and that's important here because at each step of this process, we're going to go through this process multiple times. We're going to iterate, and the options remain the same. You gain 80% or you lose 50%. If you write that out on a mathematical function, like what's the, what's the so-called expectation value? And we've mentioned that term a couple of times. It comes up all the time in game theory. So how much value, on average, can I expect to gain from doing this process? And the way that you would write out that equation is 0.8 times one half because there's a half and half. We're tossing an even balanced coin. There's a 50% chance it'll land heads, 50% chance it'll land tails. And so when you multiply the payout by the number of times that you would expect to get that payout after a coin toss, and then you add that to the negative payout, the minus 50%, multiplied by the same one half chance that you get of getting the opposite side of the coin. The end result is a positive number. It's 0.15. So whatever your original value is, and we said $100 here, you can expect to gain 1.15 times that every single time you go through this process on average. On average. On average. So the Yeah, so the expectation value is that like, okay, well, the average person will go through this first step and they'll come out with $115. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that anybody is going to come out with actually $115 in their pockets. It means that half of the group is going to come out with $180, and the other half of the group is going to lose 50 bucks. So they're going to come out with 50 But because of the weight of the payoff versus the cost, and because the coin toss is evenly balanced, on average, you can expect to gain payoff. So when you look at it from a game theory perspective, the question of should you play this game, should you participate in this, Right. The expectation value being positive indicates that it's a rational thing to do to say, yeah, this is a worthwhile, this is a worthwhile investment here. And the thing about the paradox, the, the way it becomes paradoxical, isn't that you stand to lose from betting. That's just a standard part of playing in a game. All games have costs of participation. The paradox comes when you iterate this process and go through it again and again and again. Yep. So if you go through this process a bunch of different times, you, you start to open up a number of different pathways. And that's why we mentioned that at, at the beginning of this, the pathways really matter here. So if you think about this as like branching on a tree or like the, it, it creates like a, a pyramid shape if you map it out. So you can go upward for 
0.8 or downward for 50%. And then from each of those two different outcomes, you can draw, draw exactly the same lines. You can increase your value by 80% or decrease by 50%. And that's true whether you got heads on the first flip or tails on the first flip. And then you have four different outcomes for this like two-step process. And then you do that again and you get eight different outcomes because it's to the power of two every step in this process. It grows, exp the, the number of possible end states mm -hmm. grows according to the power of two. And the paradox arises, Nick, because while every individual coin toss you have here has the same expectation value, it has the same 0 0.15 multiplier from what your original bet is, no matter where you are in the process. Right. The averages at the end, because of the shape of the paths here, the average income is a huge, huge amount of money after like 10 or 15 steps. It's like upwards of like hundreds of thousands of dollars, in some cases millions of dollars, depending on how many times. Yeah, exponential growth, yeah. Yes, but there is only one pathway to get to the highest dollar amount if you continue to square and square and square and square. And that skews the average so much. And there are so many other ways to get to much less value, to get to much lower payoffs, that while every step in the process is a positive expectation value, there are a whole lot more pathways to the lower values. Mm -hmm. And so the median expected value is actually less money than when you would have started with, with yes. $100. So again, the principle that we're driving home, it seems every other episode is averages are not meant to be read in news articles. Don't Averages are dumb. Yep. They're, they are incomplete picture. Medians, modes, averages together create a full set of data in the median and the mode here are that you will lose money by betting that on a heads you make 80% gain and the tails you lose 50% gain. I'd also like to describe in some very quick detail. Um, I think basketball, we use sports to explain these things on, on our shows and you'll, you'll bear with me. Basketball is the most interesting example that I originally thought of. And there, this is the, uh, of course, can dive into the hot hand fallacy where you think if you're hot, you'll continue to be hot into the future. And sometimes housing goes down as we've seen in movies yep. and in our real life. Basketball is a game of runs and it just is. I don't know why that is. Sometimes you can have all the form of the world. You're like, how can these guys miss the shots? It's all they do is practice one little inch movement here or angle there and a shot can be off. Say if I have five possessions of the basketball and you have five possessions with your first possession, you miss, I get the rebound. That becomes my first possession. If I score five times in a row and you score once, I could be up as much as 15, 10 to 15 points on you where you have two points and I have 10. Now that makes it look like I am 80% better at you in this small window of time. However, as a game of runs over a 60 or 48 minute basketball game, however long the games are, you're going to also have a run at some point. So this is not going to continue into the future. And as we go along this paradox, say if you, if you get three heads in a row and then you get three tails in a row, you'll be down money, even though you were up money originally. That's the problem. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a game of runs, right? Yeah, and, and, and the structure of this game is dependent on a lot of factors. So we already mentioned the, the difference in payoff. In basketball, ignore, let's, let's say we're ignoring the, the two to three point thing because we've talked about before the three-pointer has kind mm -hmm. of revolutionized basketball when people realize it's 50% more than two points. Shocking revelation. <laughs> but let's just say that that's going to average out to, I don't know, 2.25 points per shot or whatever. Mm -hmm. That is a little bit different from the paradox because we've artificially imposed this 0.8% gain versus 0.5% loss. Sure. It's not like you're losing points every time your opponent scores, right. but you're losing a possession. So the fact that a lot of 
points in a row can come from either player at, at a given time. You're right that the the snapshot of a given run isn't necessarily indicative of the whole story. Well, but that is true also for tossing the coins. So right. the payoff isn't the key factor here. No. The other key factor is that there's a 50-50 chance of either outcome coming into play. Right. And there, there's actually really, really fascinating data on this. I mean, if, you know, that you can... You can kind of detect when. I, imagine you're in a scenario where somebody says, "All right, Nick, I'm, I need you to flip a hundred coins yep. and write out what the results are every time." So just a string of a hundred different H or T, H or T, H or T, and I'm going to tell you with some degree of confidence whether you have faked that data set or whether it's an actual, you know, real world uh, result. And the the fascinating thing is that one of the things that gives away whether it's a fake data set or a real data set is that in the fake data set, there are not enough such runs as what you're talking about. There are not enough instances of like six or seven heads in a row. Right. Because the player thinks like, well, okay, on average, it's going to be about 50-50. So they'll mix it pretty evenly. And the the odds are really, really high based on you know the, the more... The more coins you toss, the odds get better and better that you're going to get longer runs of, like, you can get up to, like, 10 or 15 heads or tails in a row. And that's because each independent event truly is independent of all the others. And it's not going to it's not gonna point toward the average. Like, there, there's a difference between the law of averages and the, th- the thought that, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm due for a tails. Like, I've flipped seven heads in a row. I'm due for a tails. No, every independent flip is truly independent of all the other flips, meaning that the odds are always 50%. That's true for the paradox. And I suppose in a way that's true for basketball. I mean, you assume somebody's going to score on a certain percentage of possessions. Either you score or your opponent scores. So in a way, the the fact that runs happen, I mean, that's, that's just a mathematical artifact based on the independence of each particular event. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what happened before. And it doesn't matter what you think the outcome is supposed to be. What matters is the measurement of the actual event that takes place. Yeah, and it's so and this is what we talked about this in our poker episode, and it is an important thing to understand when you have real world applications like a basketball game or like, you know, your 401k and your livelihood. So Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, had at one point in 2021 a nine game consecutive coin toss win streak. Now, I looked for the data on those coins and I couldn't find it. I believe he switched it up every time, which is, again, like we did the rock, paper, scissors episode, which maybe we'll have to revisit one of these days. It's just stupid luck. There's no strategy. He did whatever. Then in the Kansas City Chief playoff game, he lost two in a row, which this is what we're talking about. And he went heads at the beginning of the Kansas City Chiefs game, and then that game went to overtime and he went tails, lost them both. There's no rationality. Here, no, to him no. going nine and two, or nine and zero, or zero and two. But then here we see, like, if we add another uh, eleven coins, it's probably going to be pretty close to fifty fifty over a certain a certain amount of time. Right? Like, what is happening now is not going to continue to happen into the future. And what I want to get back to this poker thing, we talked about last time we talked about poker that winning the hand and making money are two different things. So. On one hand, with this paradox, winning the coin flip and predictably winning the coin flip is a, a preposterous, pointless exercise. It's yep. the coin flip. Winning money is the goal here. So the, the and I can't believe the goddamn wisdom of this song. You have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. <laughs> you got to you know. know. C.S. Lewis described music as uh, making poetry 
uh, imperson- it's, it's impersonal by virtue of having been sung. It, but in that way, I think Kenny Rogers transcends mm. the impersonality of sung lyric. And he makes it, rather than distant, uh, I think universal. You do have to know when to hold them. It applies to you. You got to mm-hmm. know when to fold your cards. You got to know when to walk away. So if in, in this game, theoretically, so before we get to the, I don't really care about the math of how to do it right. The investors have figured that out. But we were going to talk about it just real quick so people know. If you're playing this game and you get three heads in the row, I'm fucking out. Bye-bye. I don't care what my original thing is. Like, three heads in a row, the likelihood of that, like, maybe you can get to six. Like, nah. But if you lose half of it... What was the point? And then you're, this is where the just one more comes in. Like, okay, well, I'll just get that one quick heads again, and we'll be back to where we were, and we'll walk away. No. Goodbye. Leave. And this is why, like, with the poker thing. If you're trying to win a tournament, being the person that wins as many hands and being there at the end, the bet size represents, you know, a, a strategy. It's like a blitz in football or a pitch yep. in baseball. But sure. when it's for money that you're winning, like, oh, I came in here, my table, my stack size is $300. I'm at $425. That would be life-changing percentage winning money over time. Like I made $125. I almost made 50% earnings. Goodbye. That's, yeah, that's incredible. the problem. That's where we are with this paradox because we continue to think that what will happen now is going to continue to happen into the future. Everybody knows the, the example for 50-50 is literally a coin flip. It is in American culture. Like, it's yeah, it, not going to happen. Yeah, so there is a, there's an interesting... Kind of, it's it's like a poster presentation from 2015. Uh, the University of Illinois, uh, Tong Lee and Xu Sheng Zhang, uh, mentored by AJ Hildebrand, did a statistical analysis of like real world sequences, and they and they do use things like they they took a look at the uh, Chicago White Sox first half of the 2010 season. What's their mm-hmm. win loss record? Sure. What's the scoring sequence in Bulls versus Lakers from Christmas Day in 2011? They look at uh, rainy and dry days in Champaign, Illinois, from January to April in 1999. And they basically model those as a yes-no, heads-tails, win-loss yes. type of model. Sure. And what they do, they, they have this really interesting comparison for, for people who are looking at the poster. They could say, okay, there's a data set and there's another data set. They're roughly equal length. Which one is the fake one and which one is the real one? And they identified a few key features, a few mathematical features. And we already mentioned that streakiness is one of the key things. So they say the measures, they look at how uh, streaky the runs get. And I'm not talking in Nick's shorts. I'm Mm. talking about how many, how many, yeah, you like that. How many heads or tails? Incredible. Thank you. How many, yeah, how many heads or tails do you get in a row? How many rainy days or dry days do you get in a row? Uh, But there are also other factors like uh, drift. So that's the variability in the relative frequency of each of the two events. So if you assume something is 50% and you look at the the entire sample size, how far away from 50% is the sequence actually? What's the, what's the deviation from what the expectation? the expectation value is. Uh, and, in, and in this case, the expectation value is 50% because there's no weight, unlike the paradox that we're talking about where there, there is a weight of gaining 80% versus losing 50%. So that's also part of the math. Gaps. Too. Gaps are like the, the lengths of the gaps between two like heads events. It's a little bit different from streakiness. Uh, and then, of course, they're, they're looking at bias as well. So like they're looking at Lakers-Bulls from 2011. Sure. I, I don't know. Was Derek was Derek Rose on the Bulls at the I time? I think in eleven was, was the, the year that he won the MVP. Yeah, I think of the youngest yeah. MVP in league history, if I'm not mistaken. That was amazing. His career is a tragedy. Yeah. Um, what a player! Yeah, truly. And you know, they they look at weather events too, and it's like with those things. Okay, well, if you assume the Bulls and Lakers are exactly the same in terms of how well they score versus each other, then it's a fifty fifty event. But if you don't assume that, if like or like Derek Rose gets hurt, then you would expect the Lakers to have more weight, and they there would be more likelihood. 
But that's also could be seen from the point of view of a person, like when they're looking at the rainy or dry days in Champaign. Like if you if you don't know what the average number of rainy days in Champaign, Illinois is, if you're not a meteorologist and you think, well, you know, I'm always here during the winter months and it rains a lot, and I'm here during the spring months and it rains a lot. So Champaign's pretty rainy. I'm gonna assume that it's gonna rain a lot more. That's that's human bias kind of yeah. adding an artificial filter onto onto the front of the system. And like you said, it's 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 a fifty fifty coin toss with this paradox and it's it's purely based on luck. And I, I, I want to mention one of the other things that you discussed when it comes to like knowing when to hold them or when to fold them or when to walk away. It also comes into how much you should bet. So yes. we talked last That's time, nice. you talked extensively about betting strategy. And that can mean either I think I have good cards or I'm bluffing or I'm trying to draw out more information or I'm in a bad position so I should bet less or more. The thing about this paradox is that it's truly its most simple form of gambling because at every coin toss, 100% of what you have is at stake. You can either gain 80% of your total or lose 50% of your total. So that's a little bit different than what you would expect at like blackjack or the roulette table because people make decisions about how much they're going to bet. You can go all in, but with this paradox that we're talking about with the just one more, you're required to go all in. Everything yeah. that you have is at stake at every coin toss. Yeah, so and that, that, that the bet sizing thing matters a lot. So the first thing we want to do is discuss uh, gamble responsibly. We'll put some resources in the, the link in, in, in the bio. A gambling addiction is not like other addictions, and I think maybe we should do a gambling addiction no. episode medically down the road. It just... Um, also, South Park has a really great episode about it. I think those guys might should win a Nobel Prize one day. But they're 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 gambling Nobel addiction. Prize, you you have heard of Mr. Hanky the Christmas Pooh, right? Yeah, I I have Nobel I, Prize. I think they should win a Nobel Prize. They're they're the only God. satire that is uh, they cannot be criticized. They've been so good and so accurate for so long. They're they just cannot like, be criticized. Have you ever spent time around? I don't know, women who aren't... Okay, let me change. They cannot wife. be criticized. What I mean is they uh, are above being canceled because they, they self-regulate. Like, they often <laughs> apologize. <laughs> they're, they're above being canceled. They are, because they apologize for the mistakes. But regardless, they have a, a very profound episode about uh, gambling addiction and freemium gaming and how it works in your brain. So it's mm -hmm. really serious shit. It, it will, it's the one of the only addictions that will not only ruin your life, but could financially destroy your entire family's legacy like it can hurt people who are not alive yet it's it's wild so um and we're in an era where it's just easy peasy now kids can do it on their phone i mean they don't even have to really prove they're 18 if they know how to get around you know well, the internet so and advertising is is rampant i mean it's like rampant. every third commercial. you remember I, I was it like 2015 or 16 when DraftKings and FanDuel came out and it was like every every commercial break mm -hmm. had one at least one commercial for both of those fantasy apps and i don't think gambling sports gambling wasn't like deregulated in the way that it is today it wasn't yeah. it wasn't as widely available like you couldn't like place bets on your phone as, as easily as you can today but even so playing fantasy football for like small amounts of money like every week like you create a little fantasy team this week right. and they, they kind of miniaturized and, and scaled fantasy football in a way that makes it profitable for them because a lot of people are like, well, you know, shoot, yeah, I'll put together a team this week and I'll and there was, 50 um, bucks. There was a Supreme Court ruling in 2015 and 2016 that made it illegal for states to ban gambling. So you can't, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't prevent it. You can simply not legalize it. It's so like I'm in North Carolina. It is not legal to gamble except for on the Native American reservation. But they are not constitutionally, I believe, allowed to ban it, um, which you know allowed a lot of states. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, because and that that kind of opened the, the floodgates yeah, for a lot happened. of different right. So yeah. then the state legislators just had the authority to do whatever they want. Like the federal government couldn't regulate it. 
Was it, was that around the same time as like NIL? Or NIL was more recent than that. Yes. No, NIL was significantly more recent, but it was uh it was around I mean we're getting old enough that they're around the similar time. So anyway, gambling addiction resources will be the link in the bio. Seriously, and it's not a joke. It'll 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 well, yeah, wreck your life. And I I think it's important for us to say too that when we're last week we talked about Oh yeah, by talking about game theory, we make people aware of it, and so that actually makes it worse because that yes. changes the incentives of people. So we should also point out that what we're talking about right now, the just one more paradox, what we're saying is that the paradox can also contribute. It's not just like the feeling of like the high that you get when yeah. you win money. It's not just the fun or the thrill of participating at like sitting at a poker table and throwing all your money and like going all in and seeing what's going to happen. It's not just that kind of stuff. I mean, that is a huge factor and you know, whatever else goes on physiologically when it comes to addiction, especially gambling addiction, but also the game theory of this, like this paradox sets you up in a way that's like at every step of the process, well, I stand to gain from this. Like if you do the mathematical calculations, I stand to gain. It, it, it reminds me of Nick, when we did the, the DoorDash episode about the DoorDash delivery drivers, it's kind of the opposite of that. Because if you remember sure. what we talked about on that episode was that the collective action problem the drivers faced was that they wanted to increase the rate of pay or doing their job. But the only way to do that was for them all to ignore the positive incentive that they had at every turn to take the money. Because at a certain point, you don't want to just like dive in because you're you're losing out. And, and it's similar mm -hmm. to the centipede game too. I mean, how, how long can you pass this forward so that the pot grows and grows and grows before you say, okay, this is beyond what I'm willing to cooperate for and I'm going to go ahead and take this run. This is almost kind of the opposite of that. It's like, well, I extend to gain at every single step of this process. So by continuing to play, then I stand to gain more. But it, it has to do with the pathways. I mean, if you think about a Plinko board, that's also like a roughly 50-50% chance. And a, a Plinko board, rather than one where you can put the, the disc in at any point, just imagine one that's shaped like a pyramid. You can only enter at one point because that's where right. you start with this right. paradox. There are a whole heck of a lot more pathways if you just like go each individual peg, there are a whole lot more ways to get to the middle than there are to get to the extremes. Right. And the problem with this paradox is that the expectation value on average is going to get you only one pathway. And that's the one that's all the way on one side of the pyramid. Well, every single flip has to go right. If one flip goes wrong for you, then you can no longer get to that value. And suddenly the expectation value that you have changes dramatically just because of the weighting system that's in, in place with this game. So, by incentive, you continue to participate. And, well, yeah, I'll let that. I'll let that disc fall one more notch in the plinko board. What's the worst that could happen? Right. But the, the truth is, there are a lot more ways to lose money because there are a lot more ways to get to the center of that plinko board with the fifty-fifty chances than there are to get to the extreme where you get a positive payoff. So yes, and now let's talk about the size and how to invest in this properly. So the first thing I think it's called the Kelly Criterion. It is how um, the appropriate amount of money to put in at each step. Um, uh, expressed in, in an equation and the equation works as, as it's like a percentage of what you made or a percentage of your total wealth. I forget. Regardless, the important factor here is how much money you're putting in. So now in, in this game, in the paradox, you are limited for the rules of the game to put in a certain amount. And this is where gambling gets really upsetting and addictive and bad. And also where people who make money at gambling, they make money, the professionals. It is in how much you wager when and why, right? So if, for example you are starting this, this coin toss game and you get three heads and then you get two tails and now you're like negative to where you originally were, which I think you would be, I think, right? So like you'd be like 320 and then you would be at 160. Then yeah, you would be below where you started. 
at a certain point, if you have the ability to change how much you're putting in, then you are trying to get back to where you were at 320, not back to where you were at 100. And even if you were trying to get back to where you were at 100, you would increase the amount that you're wagering at a certain point in time, ergo increasing the amount that you're going to lose. And so that's what casinos kind of bank on. If, you, if you're stuck at 80 or 50, you might be able to get back to where you were and get out of there and save yourself. But... If you are increasing the bet size to make up for lost ground that wasn't yours to begin with because you didn't walk away, then that's when people get addicted to the just one more kind of thing. So if you control your gambling, your pot size, that's bad. So to, to limit that, gamblers like myself um, create don't use dollar amounts. We use units, and that's a unit is one, and you wager one, two, three, four, a thousand, whatever your units are. So you're trying instead of worrying about the positive cash influx, you worry about how many units are placed on it. So um, based on odds, say like if a, I don't know. They, I get a nine to or, or a nine nine tenths payout, right? So if I bet five bucks, I get I win four dollars plus my original five. Instead of thinking about, well, if I had bet on something with longer odds, I would get twelve. Like, well, no, I just wanted more than five, and that's I won the unit, and that's fine. So that's the important part of this. So because we understand how logarithms work and averages and medians and modes, there is a way to use the did it work or did it not work to make money over time. There is a way for the mode and the median to become a positive expression. And for stock market investors who manage your 401k and your pension, those people use this kind of equation to figure out how much of your money to put in. Yeah, well, and I, I do want to point out that this Kelly criterion is it's the kind of thing that sounds like, oh, yeah, I found the perfect formula for gambling. Yep. Like, I know exactly what to do. I, I do want to say that this is not really this isn't the kind of speculative pseudoscience that you get from like just some guy online who's trying to sell you like poker betting secrets. Yep. Uh, the Kelly criterion is a real thing. It could also be described as like the Kelly strategy. It's also called the Kelly bet. It was developed by this guy named JL Kelly. Shocking. Uh, That's uh, crazy that it's named yeah. after again. I'm Kelly. I'm uh, yeah, that. I know you'd be you'd be stunned, but we've mentioned this on the on the show before. He was researcher at uh, Bell Labs. You know, oh was, yeah, a, Bell. Yeah, Bell. Bell we Laboratories, Bell. the private company that invested in scientific research for the sake of scientific research. Yeah, yeah. this is another example of that. And it, it was it was developed in 1956. And the, the thinking is that, you know, ma mathematically speaking, this is an optimization problem. So player three, if you've taken calculus out there, you know, the shape of a curve, the way that you answer, like, what's the optimum point or what's like the minimum value or whatever, you're looking for the maximum. And in this case, it's the point where the derivative of the uh, of the expectation value as a function of the uh, as the amount of money that you wager you, you find the optimum point on that, and you do some very simple calculus. You find the point where the slope is zero. And it, it works. I mean, it's a mathematical formula. In the long run, this represents a scientific approach to gambling. And, you know, gambling, there are still plenty of elements that are outside of your control, but it does use mathematics to identify, okay, what's the optimum wager? And, you know, in the, in the 2000s, this became a pretty mainstream part of investment theory. You know, Warren Buffett claims to use the Kelly yeah. theory. Bill Gross claims to use the, the Kelly theory. And I, I think it's a it's a really good way to kind of look at okay what is what is the amount of money that I should be spending here based on the rationale as opposed to okay how am I trying to like play the person across from me or, or trying to do it so is it, so Nick you said you like parameterize it by instead of saying like all right this I'm betting X dollars you say okay X dollars are represented by one unit or yep. two units or and whatever. the units the unit is based on my wealth and how much the, an overall wealth I guess number we'll call it n. And that is, and I, I do my gambling calendar based on football season as a sport I know the most about, and it's where I've made money, and it's the hardest mm -hmm. one, so maybe I should not do that. But uh, so for my bankroll, when my bankroll is a hundred dollars for the season, my n or my unit is one. When my bankroll is more than a hundred dollars, my unit is five. 
and I never don't bet a unit. Uh, so there's no half units. Okay. So if, yeah, if I'm not good. willing to put a bet size in that's a unit, then I'm, I'm theoretically not confident enough or not motivated enough. And that, at that point, I'm gambling. See, for this, okay. for, this for me, because in sports betting and in poker, these are not, this is not gambling in that it's a, a literal 50% chance. There are, there's strategy involved, and that's what spreads are for. And in poker, poker becomes, increasingly becomes gambling as there are fewer table, players at the table. Mm-hmm. While there are a lot of players, it's, it's a game of strategy. If you play poker with your cards face up the entire time, that would be gambling. Right. It's gambling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, right? you depend entirely on, on the, the river. Right. And, yeah, so you're, you're foolish to give away that kind of information for free. Before then, it's probability, and that's just basic yeah. math. That's nothing to do with gambling. That's just, that's entirely, that's basic math. If there's two or three players at the table, then it's game theory and it's equilibrium, and, and you could theoretically just go back and forth forever, um, which is what we're doing here with the coin toss thing. And at that point, it's on you if you lose too much money. So, like, yeah. but in sports, it's the same thing. Like, well, this player has, or this team has uh, Michael Jordan, so they're probably going to win. So Vegas fixed that with the point spread like we think that but those are also people who make those and people are idiots so you never theoretically the fun part of it is that no i know more than vegas the gambling part of it and the coin flip part of it is that something either happens or it doesn't now there is it's more like the rock paper scissors thing when gambling where there is a a tie scenario in which case you just get your money back no that's that's as if nothing happened that's called a push right a push yes so in this scenario by not being locked in to $80 every single time against my 100 an $80 increase or 80% increase. Um, I don't, I ignore the payoff for the bets. So most people will want long odds. Cause like if I get $5, I can get 20. That's crazy. Four to one. I am not interested in that. I am inter- interested in that occasionally when you bet on something like, I think that someone crazy is going to be MVP. Like, okay, that's fun. And if you, if you get it once it pays for your entire bankroll, it pays for everything. And but that's not, you can't think that way because that's how they make their money, right? I mean, that's, yes. that's how, and they, we've, it's mathematically like you're not going to outsmart these people. It's crazy how much, how much, how long it took Wall Street to catch up with things that casinos had been doing forever. Uh, truly, like, uh, like theft. Yes. Like it, it, <laughs> in raw intimidation of yeah. investors. Assassinations. Um, yeah, alleged involvement of certain organizations mm-hmm. who may or may not have chosen to make their home in the desert. It's not really uh, relevant. Yeah, no, it's not relevant at all. Did we? Is it true, or was it just like a, was it just like speculative rumors that uh, they settled in Las or in Rock Springs before they went to Vegas? Yeah, I think that. So I'm, I'm eating a ball right now, which is what my vegan coffee shop calls it. They're just balls. Also, well, while Nick is eating his ball, I mean, what better time? What better time to eat balls than on this podcast? Mm, yeah, no, and they're, they're it's a vegan place, so this is how they they sell protein to people is in these balls of raisins and protein powder, and they're they're okay. So it's just raisins. And, why don't you just buy raisins and protein powder? The store's all the way over there. The it's like Ocean's so Eleven. Like, what's with the orange? Yeah, what's with the orange? My doctor says I need vitamins. vitamins. Well, why don't you take vitamins? Come here to give me a physical? <laughs> Speaking of balls. Um, yeah, great show. Um, yes. So they, 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 I guess the mafiosos and like, Russians, I suppose, were settling on Rock Springs because of the railroad involvement on the time. I don't know that that no. was ever a long-term solution because of weather. Because if you have to choose between the weather being shittily hot or shittily cold, most people will opt for shittily hot. You, that's like, yeah. Look at a map where all of the humans live on Earth. Yeah, the, the whole equator thing. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a really interesting thing. Do you ever read Guns, Germs, and Steel? I'm about halfway through it right now. Are you really? Yeah. You're reading it right now? Um, I'm rereading it right now. I bailed on it when I had my eye surgery, so I, I'm, I'm no. catching back up. 
That's fair. The, the thing about the the continent orientation is really interesting to me. Yes, for he sure. He said, like, yeah, if your if your continent is yeah. oriented more north south, then you're it's more difficult to have an advanced civilization just because there's a lot less land area for you to cover that's within like a habitable or comfortable climate. So like yeah. like the fact that Mexico and Central America are like a tiny isthmus yep. compared to like the Mediterranean is it, it's the ideal climate. It goes like basically from you know Spain to friggin byzantium yeah so yeah no wonder they had, they had so much lateral movement no wonder they could have so much more room for like farms and and it's kind of weird that like that italy it's like the peninsula of italy kind of became the locus of the of the western world for so many you know, hundreds of years well they're right in the middle it, it of the, is, the thing man i think the other the thing that well, i'm are. i'm just i'm but disappointed the, but by the empire spanned like the whole oh yeah of they, course of course yeah, they spanned the whole Medi- like so it, it instead North of africa instead of yeah. being like well, and, and it's not that, oh, Italy's a small peninsula, so you wouldn't expect their civilization to be advanced. Like, no, they were within, like, boating distance of a bunch of places. So, really, it was just a strategic landing point in the center of this huge kind of, like, more like a big old lake rather than, like, the ocean where there's, like, oh, yeah, we don't have the technology to get anywhere else. So, we're stuck on, like, the Yucatan. I, I'm always, dis- I, I'm, I'm thus far disappointed in the book for, for leaving out one big factor, which is water. Um, before cars and yep. planes, water is the most important thing. Like all these guns, germs, and steel, like civilizations and weather and all of that. But being able to transverse via water, which is so much faster than walking in horses over time. Mm-hmm. The, Italy is like, because it's an isthmus in the, in, in the sea, it's so close. It's like the ideal place to have a capital when you're trying to take over all of these places. Like nobody could compete yeah. with them because even to get into there, like by the time you go in from whatever is it, the Strait of Gibraltar by Africa, if you were mm-hmm. going to try to invade them, they would obliterate you they, they have everything they control the whole thing the most advanced civilizations in the world that i remember for the past two to five thousand years they're all located on places like this like the aztec and mayan empire yeah they have the yucatan they, they can get around the amazon river they can get around the mississippians and the mississippi river and all the cahokians like they can get up and down the mississippi like water was we are a water and sun species like that's our most important shit now we're way Which off can makes makes sense if you think about it it does how about that <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, was a little, no, little it's fun. There. It's fun. You just like talking about civilization <sighs> every once in a while and ancient. Well, yeah, well, that's what we're doing. We're, stuff. we're we're figuring out how. Shout out to our shout out to our male audience. I feel like we're we're straight into like meme territory for yeah. like studying like white male shit. I also like um, we need more women, but I refuse to pander. So we just need to market better. Well, and you know, I I think the real problem is that we need interesting content. We can fool <laughs> people who are like us. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, everybody that's else true. that's more difical to to trick into. So, players, oh, if you have any, have any ideas, please let us know. Yes. So, this bet size thing. So, Chris, what was the equation? How did it work? What is the Kelly Criterion is expressed as an equation? Let's get back to well, how to make money. Well, the Kelly Criterion expressed it, it, it's really more of like a mathematical approach, and it, and it yeah. has to do with doing the calculus of optimizing a, a curve. There, there's much, much more to it in the, it, you know, the, the original paper from 1956. It's very mathematically rigorous and, uh, okay. and, it, and it is a good, good approach, uh, but it, it has to do with uh, finding the point of zero slope on a, a curve. So if you, on the X axis to quote <laughs> Michael Scott, the, the, de- the dependent variable is the amount of money that you wager. And it's like, it's expressed as a fraction. So like, okay, you're, betting 20% or 30% or 40%, whatever. And the expectation value that you get of that can be mapped as like a big curve with a downward inflection. So there's going to be some point along the top where the slope is zero. And your goal is to try to find what that is. And this is, you know, if you use the Kelly criterion based on the odds of an experiment with 
plug in whatever numbers you want. The right approach is to use a certain percentage. And this represents like a geometric mean. And that, that means basically that you know, there's, there's a certain theoretical expectation value that correlates to this point of zero slope on the curve. You know, and the, the bet is that uh, it's, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to read this. This is a direct yeah, do it. paper. Mm-hmm. F star equals P minus Q over B, which is the same as P minus one minus P over B. So all of those, all those variables, uh, F is the fraction of how much money that you should wager. So that's right. what we're looking for. The, right. The, the fraction is to find what you should. And that changes as you make more money. Yeah, it does. And Which it, is the point? It, well, well, the fraction, the fraction doesn't. Ne- well, I guess the fraction does. So the the rest of the variables are p is the probability of a win. So we're going back to like, all right, if if you're doing a coin toss, then p is going to be fifty percent. But if you're yeah. factoring in stuff like, oh, well, the Lakers have LeBron James and Derrick Rose is hurt, then the probability is going to change, and that's where like Vegas sets like, okay, what are the what are the odds there? Q is the probability of a loss, which is the same as one minus p. So. For a coin toss, it's going to be 50%. You know, what's, what's 100% minus the probability of getting a heads? Well, that's equal to 50%, which is the probability of getting a tails. But if you factor in like LeBron James, it gives your team a 25% boost. Right. The probability of winning is 75. The probability of loss, the Q value, is going to be 25% because it's 1 minus 0.75. And then B is the proportion of the bet gain. So it's a ratio of like how much are you winning? Or it's 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 how much are you can you expect to win minus the ratio of how much you expect to lose to the proportion of the bet gained, and that depends on the odds of the bet. So, like for example, if you bet ten bucks on a two to one odds, so you win, you get thirty bucks back. You so you win twenty dollars from a ten dollar bet. Then that number B is going to be two. It's going to be twice as good. So whatever whatever the odds are, three to one, four to one, five to one. That's what the number B is. And so the higher the odds, then the lower that proportion, then the smaller that proportion subtracted from the probability of winning, which means that as the odds go up, right, then the amount of money that you should bet also increases. Right, which means that you're, you're maximizing geometrically the, the idea that you will pair the amount you've wagered with the uh, likelihood that you will win, which makes a ton of sense. So... Mm-hmm. I want to uh, head toward, uh, make our descent into the end of this episode with something that we need to start referencing quite a bit more um, in behavioral economics, which is game theory is kind of behavioral economics. It's also just like decision-making and interacting with networks of people. And which which one would say is a form of behavioral economics? Yeah, sure. So uh, reference dependence, uh, loss aversion, prospect theory, uh, all of these things are ideas that what people should do and what they actually do are not the same thing. So let's talk about reference dependence. Um, it's similar to anchoring. Do you know what anchoring is? It's so yeah. We, asked, we talked about we talked about anchoring before, yeah. and and actually, uh, there's a great book about the Price is Right. There is. We talked about you, on the show. Yes, which you can buy by clicking yes, the you link. Can in the bio. You can buy. You can buy link in the bio. The, the The point is that people routinely mist- they some number gets tossed out when trying to decide like how much does a thing cost or how much is such, such and such right. worth or how much money would you like in your salary mr so-and-so the first number that goes out people tend to psychologically cling to that value and so everything in reference to that is it, 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 it's all relative to that so like remember I, I think i've told this story before but like when our uncle craig wanted to go out and walk down and buy a newspaper out of one of those little newspaper things and right is our our aunt said well how much does it cost and he said twelve dollars and it was ridiculous. So she gave him $10 and he came back with all this change. He's like, yeah, now I look like a hero because mm-hmm. I didn't tell the real cost of it. Whereas it's like, all right, paper's 350. He's like, well, okay, go ahead. 
Right, exactly. So a, a great example is um, if you were asked to guess the height of a redwood tree, the average redwood tree, and you were like, they're huge, they're insane, um, 150 feet, that's how tall redwood trees are. And the other one was like, that sounds right, but I think they're actually higher than that. I'm going to go 175. Like, no, idiots, it's like 350 so, yeah. but you were anchored to the first guess because it's even if you didn't think it was right, the guy actively said, I think it's higher than that, but it's anchored to 150. But reference dependence is the idea that like this one point, this equilibrium or status quo is where people will stop. So there's a very famous experiment where, uh, or it, I, I don't know if it's an experiment or just a data collection, a paper or something. We look at New York City cabbies, right? When the weather is bad, people take cabs more. That is a statistical fact. Uber knows the same thing. When the weather is good, they take it less. So if you're a cab driver in New York City, you can charge more money during the rainy days. Ergo, it takes you less time to make the amount of money that you would make on an average day. So what they found was that a cab drivers in New York City, on average, work significantly less during rainy days. And they work significantly more during sunny days. But the difference in how much money they can charge on rainy days means that they should work long hours on rainy days and short hours on sunny days. Huh. And they would make more money by working the same, like significantly more money by working the same amount of hours. They're not working harder. But because they're referenced to how much money they should make in a day, they're, they're, they're stuck on that. They're like, this is good enough for me. I'll go home. That Instead is really interesting. Like, I, I, yeah. sh I should say they're not necessarily working harder. It, it, it can be harder to drive in, in crappy yeah. conditions. Longer, I mean, longer. You know, reasons or whatever. But yeah, yeah. so they're, they're working the same number of hours. But that, that, so that's really interesting. So they, because of the reference dependence, it being the amount of money they make on a clear day, they are willing to forego additional money for putting in the same amount of effort because they're like, oh yeah, I've, I've hit my quota for the day. Right. So someone without reference wow. dependence playing the game that we're playing, they would be the ones that are stuck doing the one more, the, the fallacy, the paradox of like, well, let's just keep going. But people who have reference dependence and understand, like remember the original money that's in, not money out, they would understand when to bail. But the people who don't have reference dependence are the ones that are, are at risk for like upping your gambling size to just, oh, just one more win and I'll be back to where I was in blackjack. This is my system. No. So this is also uh, aligns with something called prospect theory. Prospect theory is, it was an attempt in the 70s, and it's a really great theory, it, it, to marry game theory, theoretically, with what, like what people should do versus what they actually do, like our traveler's dilemma. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that the, for many people, the excitement of a 100% a increase of the payout outweighs the aversion to a 50% loss. So for example, if your only two options were, or three options were to not play, option one, not play, option two, win 2,000, option three, lose 1,000. Most people will opt to play the game because winning 2,000 is better for them than losing 1,000 is bad. And I see this go around on TikTok. There was a, all of these goddamn nerds on their TikToks, they were like, the probability that pe these people don't understand probability. So the, the, the prompt was something like, you have a one in 100 chance of death, but you have like a 40 in 100 chance of a billion dollars and everything is massive amounts of life-changing money, including billions of dollars. What do you do? And the probability people are like, these people don't understand probability. Of course you flip the coin and you risk death. Like, no, no, um, I don't want a hundred billion dollars as much as I want to not die. That's yeah. the reference dependence. I like being on water and seeing the sun because I'm yes. water and sun species. You are. That's more important <laughs> to me than the possibility of maybe winning. It, it, so it, it, it's not just a question of probability. It's not just a question of outcomes. The weighted expectation value matters also. But the point of, the, of us doing this episode today 
with the paradox is that it's not even the complete story that the rational thing to do at a given moment is determined by the mathematics that you have to understand the system and yes. the, the number of ways you can get from a to B. And I think that might be one of the, that, that's one of the things I've, I've kind of learned. We, we see path dependence come out over and over again. We talked about the Monty Hall problem. People yep. want to like cut right to the end and look at, okay, what's the average? What's the, what's the, you know, payout I can expect. So when they're looking at the just one more paradox, well, yeah, you know, the average is, is a huge amount. And at every step, you're incentivized to play. Like, yeah, it's always the right thing to do. Monty Hall problem, same story. Like, well, you know, by the end, he's only opening up between one of two doors, so it has to be 50%. We got called out on that in an email. We had somebody write to us and say the exact wrong thing it keeps that happening. we highlighted in the show. And it, it continues to happen. You guys, it is 66% if you switch because... There are more ways to follow the path to get to the right door than there are to get to the wrong door. And just like that, with this paradox, there are more paths to go through every coin flip iteration right, to get to I... a lower payout than there is to get to the higher one. And the average skews that, and it masks the reality that you stand to lose by participating in this game more than you stand to win, despite the fact that the average value is higher, and despite the fact that every turn is technically rational because of the expectation value. There's right. much more to the story than this, and considering the entirety of the system and understanding that you've got to calculate out the pathways is a really important takeaway, I've found, from, from game theory at large, but from this paradox especially. Yeah, and it, again, this reference dependence, this idea that following, like it's not... It's Simpsons Paradox, I think, is the greatest way to really cut to the heart of what's going on here for the mm -hmm. probability of outcome. When I tell you, I'm up hundreds of units in gambling, and it's not like an, a life-changing amount of money. And this is why we talk about units and not money, because I haven't risked my life on this. The majority of the units that I win, I win. It's work. I don't enjoy watching the sports. I, I barely pay attention to the outcomes. I just understand what to look for. If you're watching, it's specifically basketball and baseball. If at any point in the game, in the first third of the game, one team is up by a huge lead, Vegas will change the odds and think, oh, well, that team is now going to win by more than we projected. Bet against that. Every single yep. time. That's how, I, that's how I finance my fun gambling during football season. As I'm watching basketball, Kansas beating North Carolina 30-7. to 7. Well, North Carolina is also a team, and we know that the coin flip thing, it all evens out. I doubt that Kansas is going to win by 30 they might win by ten. Okay, that's the line. I bet they don't win by. I don't. I bet they don't win by seventeen now. Yeah, and, and, like it, and it's not that's that we know look. they're going to even out, but I know what you're saying. It's it's that the the law of averages does come into play at a certain point. You sure. just don't know when that point is going to be. Technically, every possession is independent of all the previous possessions. Exactly. Until you get into like timeout time or whatever. But the the reality is that. They are also a team, and right. the, the fact that a huge streak or a couple of streaks have happened in this sample size of determining which team scores does not mean that there won't be other streaks going in the opposite direction. It does not Correct. mean that, oh, suddenly our understanding of the system has changed. It's like, no, the, the, the length of a game is 60 minutes. It's not the first quarter. So the Kelly criterion is used to defend you and make the most likely outcome for the most amount of money. But what I'm saying, my, the Nick system, is if you are watching this happen and there are seven tails in a row, the next three bet heads. And if you bet the right amount of money or bet a unit or bet the right amount of units, like you will come out on top and then you can be like, okay, I'm not betting on this game anymore, goodbye. That is a bold, bold claim. Hey, what can I say? What can you say? Uh, let's, I just played the cricket sound. I must not have you plugged into the mixer. No, I, don't, I don't think you do. Yeah, I'm missing oh, the cricket Well, the, it's for important people. Player three can hear it. Congratulations, player three. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's well, that makes one of us. It's a high likelihood. Yeah.